0: (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Sports Business Mind Podcast, a podcast where we tell the untold stories of sports entrepreneurship. Being a sports entrepreneur is not about only running a huge sports agency or a team. There are everyday folks who are sports coaches who make a serious impact in the development and the well-being of young people around the world. My objective is to speak to these champions and find out why they started their business, their struggle and their successes. Welcome to Episode 3 of the Sports Business Mind Podcast. Before we get into the interview, quick shout out to our sponsor, SportsBusinessMentor.com. Sports Business Mentor is a mentorship program that helps you create a world-class product out of your sports coaching business that will make you a marketer one. To get a quick training on how you can go from being in a saturated, competitive market like in sports coaching to being the only one in your marketplace, go down to SportsBusinessMentor.com and download the template and training that you can use right now. There's three simple steps and it can't get any easier. Today, I have Richard Bukarelli, owner-operator of North America's first-ever soccer-specific fitness company, providing soccer-specific fitness training, fitness testing, coach education to soccer players and teams and coaches throughout Ontario, Canada and around the world. Richard is an entrepreneur, small business owner, professional fitness coach, a PhD candidate, a university researcher, a lecturer, coach educator, published author, a proud husband and a father. It's my pleasure to welcome Richard on the show today. Hi, Richard.
1: I'm well. I'm well. How are you?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm good. It's nice, bright, and a beautiful day here in Singapore. How's it over there?
1: It's good. It's the uh, sun has set, so <laughs> it's about seven o'clock in the evening now. But it's actually we we've been getting some unseasonably warm weather in, in Toronto right now so I'm, I'm happy.
0: <laughs> yeah there's plenty of reasons to be celebrating I suppose. Well let's get to the podcast today. I wanted to start with asking a little bit about your background because I've gone through your social media account and all your information that you put out there on the internet. Pretty interesting stuff that you do. We'll come all to that in just a bit on this show today but uh, maybe give us a little bit about your background. like What's your 60 second spiel about um, Richard.
1: Okay, so I, I was a soccer player, uh, soccer coach, and, and also studied uh, sports science in university. Uh, so I had these kind of, you know, these interests interest in sports and interest in sports science as well. And eventually I, uh, I kind of combined those interests and those passions to start a, a business called Soccer Fitness, where I provided uh, fitness training, fitness testing, and, and eventually coach education for soccer. And eventually, I branched out in with that business into working with athletes from other sports in addition to soccer. Uh, I guess I can say that I did. I, I I continued my education both on the academic side and uh, as a coach. Uh, got you know some some high higher licenses as a coach and in the middle of uh, well more I'm 75 percent done I would say with my PhD in uh, exercise physiology and biomechanics and. Uh, so I've sort of built a career uh, more or less around these uh, these passions of mine, which are uh, soccer and other sports and and exercise science. So so that's that's what I do.
0: <laughs> Excellent, that's really impressive. I want to also touch on the fact that you were a college player before, right? You you just mentioned that just before the show. You used to play college football. I did,
1: yeah. So I played uh, in Toronto. Sorry, soccer. Soccer. I well. I'm more than yeah, I I've I've been all over the world so I'm more than happy to call it football too so yeah. so yeah but uh, yeah I played played in in, in university uh the, that's the school that I I studied uh, my undergraduate degree uh, in and and so I played for the for the varsity team there for for 5 years and and at the same time I did play also in a league called the Canadian Professional Soccer League so you know I I think we we're chatting I mean it's I don't want to call it professional because it's sort of a semi pro league but but uh, I played there uh, for for 4 years as well so.
0: Let's talk about your motivation to start a business because it's not easy, right? When when we, I mean, I've been speaking to hundreds of athletes who are now in terms of uh, looking for transition, right? They're making career transitions and stuff like that. And taking the route of being an entrepreneur, like a sports entrepreneur, is the last thing on their mind. Everyone's looking for something that's more stable, something they're familiar with. So they go into clubs, they go into academies, then they go into different organizations where they're now paid to be a coach, what motivated you to take the route, the very unconventional route of becoming a sports entrepreneur?
1: Well, so being in Canada, uh, you know, at at the time when I was uh, finishing my undergraduate degree was around 2004. um, I, uh, you know, I I had been working uh, like part time as a personal trainer, and I had also been working as a coach, which was I was volunteering as a soccer football coach. Um, you know, and and, and some of the, the parents of the kids that I was training uh, uh, in the club, you know, they, they 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 knew that I was a personal trainer. So they said, well, you know, will you train my son? And I said, sure. You know, they'd give me a little bit of money on the side. And, and then eventually some coaches from this club that I was working with saw what I was doing. And so they, you know, offered to hire me to train their team. So it kind of built like kind of grew organically while I was still, uh, you know, in school. And uh, eventually when I was ready to graduate, I think a lot of people maybe that study sports science, you know, there isn't like a direct career path. Uh, You can get into medical school, you can get into physiotherapy, you can get into into coaching or all that. And, you know, I I sort of saw this opportunity. I said, well, you know, I'm doing this part time and I seem to be doing okay with it. And, you know, why don't I put more energy into it and, and see if I can grow it into a business. In Canada, there were other businesses that were providing fitness training for hockey hockey is mm. the popular sport here and uh they they would call those businesses they called the training dry land meaning you know you play on the ice but there's dry land training and so i sort of thought well you know there are no businesses focusing just on soccer and there's hundreds of thousands of soccer players youth players in canada uh you know lots of them in toronto so i thought well you know maybe i could be onto something here so i as I said, I, I just put all my energy into it after I graduated and, and, and I built, built a little business out of it. So
0: no, Excellent. I think this is a great lesson as to finding the gap in the market, right? That's what you did. You looked around and saw that there was a huge demand for that market. And a lot of uh, our listeners listening to this podcast uh, could be in that space where they are actually now thinking mm-hmm. on how to start a business, right? And especially a sports coaching business. And sometimes they think that, oh, that market is oversaturated. There's too many people playing in the market. It's about actually taking whatever happening in this market and then you know, putting it into a different vertical like what you done. You saw that was happening with uh, hockey and you took it and put it into soccer where there was a real demand. Let's talk about the initial, I suppose, challenges you had in terms of getting the business, the idea off the ground. A lot of people have great ideas, but very few actually execute on it. Uh, how did you take it from an idea into of course your first paying customers you you did say that you kind of experimented with it I'm interested to know what was the first few steps you took in terms of getting a complete stranger into a paying client
1: well okay so I, that's a great question and I, I think back to when I started I mean as I said I, I was sort of just approached by you know parents of, of soccer players then eventually some coaches and and I get maybe I was lucky I mean my, my, my father Uh, is a dentist he's retired dentist now but you know he ran his his own practice and my mother kind of helped him run the business and and I had a couple of friends that were also you know entrepreneurs as well so maybe I had some ideas in my head about what I could do Um, and I I, you know I really you know I I sort of just figured out okay what what you know what makes sense as a wage per hour Uh, you know what should I charge and and I, I, I was always thinking ahead, even at the time, like, how can I grow it? I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't study business necessarily, but but I, I did think about, okay, well, you know, I, this is quite physically demanding. I'm on the field, I'm running around and, you know, uh, I only have so many hours I can do it because, you know, the, the, we're only on the field from 6 to 9 p.m. and the sun goes down at 9 and what do I do when I'm indoors? And so I sort of, I, you know, I, I basically just sort of tackled all those problems as they came up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I, I definitely, you know, I, I know that I was able to identify the, the demand and, and I, you know, I, I came up with a wage that I thought was was fair and reasonable, you know, for me and, and, and for the customers. Uh, you know, I, I quickly saw that, that you know, doing things one on one with athletes or clients wasn't as profitable as doing it with small groups. With a small mm-hmm. group, you, you can charge less per person, but you can, you know, earn a lot more, uh, you know, at the university uh, that I had been studying at there was an indoor uh, track and field center which charged a very low rate for a yearly membership and they allowed coaches to bring athletes in so essentially within about a year of me you know doing this business I had uh, you know I had an indoor location because in in, in Canada you know in Toronto half the year it's there's snow on the ground so you can't go outside and then uh, once it was warm enough to go outside then I you know I kind of found different fields and different locations that I could take people to outside so I yeah, I guess it's a little, bit, a little bit of luck, maybe the right place and the right time and, and probably you know having some good uh, role models and, and examples with my friends and family as well.
0: That's amazing. I want to hone in on that first month, right? Because a lot of sports coaches don't get started because of the fear of like what will happen, right? Because we all know that at the beginning, it's really going to be hard. You're not going to start a business and, and make 10, 20 grand a month, right? That's not going to happen. Very few businesses actually start like that. In fact, there are, but very few and far between T- tell us what was your first month's income if you if you still remember at all
1: oh uh well okay if we're talking when i was just on the fields with with athletes yeah. here and there i mean i was i was probably lucky if i was getting a couple hundred dollars a day i mean i you know it okay. was uh, I, you know i i i didn't have a lot of expenses because i was just paying that that little indoor membership and and, and, and you know kind of growing it from there and uh i can say uh, you know i i Eventually, uh, so th- this was around 2005, five years later was when I opened my facility. Uh, I think mm-hmm. I mentioned to you a little bit that, you know, the was called for 10 years was called the Soccer Fitness Training Center. And recently we rebranded as Speed Training. Now, that facility it was a pretty significant, uh, uh, venture for me, I'll say, because I put all of my own savings into it. What I had, uh, I took a, a line of credit from the bank and also, you know, my parents loaned me a little bit of money and all together, uh, this was about a hundred thousand uh, dollar, uh, investment in opening this facility. Uh, we had some very expensive equipment, some, some, you know, some high-speed treadmills and weights and all that. Now I can tell you, I mean, that I remember very clearly that, that, the first year, I did not pay myself a salary. And in the second year, I paid myself just enough to cover uh, my living, my rent. Uh, I, I ate, uh, you know, uh, cans of tuna and cheese sandwiches <laughs> for dinner. I I, I I, almost lived in that location for the first uh, year and a half or so. So I would say those those first five years when I was just training people on the field, it wasn't it was OK. I lived at home you know, I, you know, I I was able to save a little bit and, you know, I, I I grew, probably grew to the point where I was making a, you know, 40, $50,000 a year by the time it was, you know, close to 2009, 2010. That's when I really thought, you know, let me go and I want my own place. I, you know, I was exposed to the, this technology, this unique technology with treadmills and all that. And, and I said, you know, I, if, you know, I was almost 30 at that time, I said, if I'm going to do it, I got to do it now. But I know you mentioned the first month. I thought I would speak about that that first year, which was a really like a, a, a tough, uh, <laughs> tough experience for sure. Yeah,
0: uh, that's that's just amazing. Great information. Let's talk about the facility, right? Because again, that was a big step, like you said. You got to, you had to go and raise that money, and you had to get a line of credit from the bank. Not a lot of people would take that plunge because it is a commitment. And it can be quite stressful on the business, and of course your your personal self. What was the biggest challenge in getting that off the ground? What was the biggest challenge?
1: So yeah, I mean, I I, I definitely um, y- you know I, I guess maybe it's just my personality or, or whatever it is, but but I, you know I, I I knew that it was a big risk, and I wasn't so afraid of it. So I'm I'm happy you know obviously that I think you have to you have to. Uh, you know, uh, be, you have to, you have to conquer your fear of, of risk, let's say to, to do something like that. So yeah, the the biggest challenge initially was uh, I guess because of the fact that, uh, you know, we, we just, you know, we needed revenue uh, right away. And, and so I, I offered a lot of training for very low prices. I, you know, we gave all kinds of discounts. We did, you know, we did a free trial session, which is like, you see a lot of gyms and companies that do this and, and it seemed like a good idea at the time, but what we ended up getting, and I, I realized this, you know, several months into it was, uh, was uh, like the, you got kind of like window shoppers, you know, people that, that, that had no intention of signing up for anything, but they just wanted to try the free session kind of, you know, almost waste your time kind of thing. And, you know, so I think, you know, in the end, I got it right towards the end of the year in terms of how much, you know, I needed to, 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 to charge and, and all that. And uh, you know, I would say probably that that was the, you know, the biggest challenge and, and maybe the second was around um, finding and training and managing reliable staff. Because again, I, I was forward thinking even before that I knew that I didn't want to open a gym and have myself just be the trainer in the gym. I didn't think that was a good idea because I could see how, you know, when you run the business it's it's better you can you can spend a little bit of time training but you need to spend your time managing you know dealing with clients and and all that so so i had i had some good staff but i also had some that were not very reliable that you know kind of uh let me down a little i would say but 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 in the end i i also blame myself because i probably didn't i didn't uh i i wasn't diligent enough in uh you know, in, in vetting them and interviewing them. And I, I, I hired some people that I, players that I used to coach, for example, things like that, that maybe it wasn't the most uh, responsible thing to do in terms of staff. So I say those those are probably two, two big challenges. You know, there were others, but the, those would be the biggest ones, yeah.
0: I want to pick up on the point where you say that the free trials didn't work for you because one of the things that we mm-hmm. teach or I teach in my sports business mentorship is to actually allow people to try before they buy, but there is a process before that. Just to make sure that we don't actually get the kind of people that you talk, talked about, the tire kickers, the people who are just shopping for free trials and stuff like that. Do you do anything of that? Or did you just drive people to a free trial without even qualifying them?
1: What we did, and I, again, uh, I, I, I actually, you know, I'll tell you, I have a twin brother who did an MBA and, and, and works as a consultant. So, he, you know, he helped me too. So, I, I, I'm lucky I have, you know, I had help. <laughs> But, but a suggestion that, you know, that, that, that he came up with, and we kind of came up with it together was, instead of a free trial, we called it a, a free consultation. Mm. So what we did was we, we invited people who were interested to watch the training while it was happening. And that would be, you know, me, I would give them a tour of the facility, show them the equipment, you know, explain the science behind it, all of that. And then if they liked it, then they could sign up. And if not, you know, or they were on the fence or whatever, they could wait. And that like, honestly, like that was like a turning point because it, it really, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we, we got our expenses a little more under control uh, and, 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 and we were sort of, I don't know the word exactly. Maybe you qualify better the, 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 the leads and the people that are potentially interested and, and that helped quite a lot. Um, you know, and and then I'll tell you. Eventually, you know, I made the decision to to start using a, a, a an all in one software called Salesforce. I don't know if of you know course, of Salesforce, yeah. Or yeah. Not, but you know, yeah, yeah, it's a popular CRM and all that. And you know, that was a a, a big growing pain uh, implementing it, like yeah. a lot of challenges and bugs it, and expenses and all that. That's not
0: yeah. easy. That's not easy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so that could be a separate podcast almost, but but eventually uh, uh, incorporating that software did help to uh, uh, make all of our processes much and uh, you know streamline uh, uh, from the intake with a client to you know uh, the consultation, selling, uh, managing the revenue, the bookkeeping, all that. So so you know we it was a. Slow process, but uh, but I, I think I I did get a good handle of it after a, a few years. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, You know, it's amazing
0: because one of my students in my program, he is actually out in in Canada as well, used the same process that we thought about, and we actually changed it from free trial to an assessment. He actually gets people in on an assessment, and his okay. conversion rate on the assessment is like almost hundred percent. So he just just two weeks ago, in just seven days, he. He put three thousand dollars in his uh, in his system, just using what we taught him and you know pre-qualifying people and getting them to do an assessment. Because I, I suppose you got to frame it differently. You, if you call it free trial, people just take it for granted, right? When you when you start putting yeah. a premium to what you're actually giving away, I'm interested to know: Do you have a product ladder in your business? Uh, meaning to say that are there multiple products within your your business that you can escalate your customers? Because we all know it's easier to to sell something to a client that's already there or a customers already there than trying to acquire a new one.
1: Yes, yeah. So um and and this is part of like uh, it evolved as as my own uh, uh, education evolved and, and and also we added new new equipment and new testing uh, uh, software, things like that. So um, th- there's like the basic package with training and, and kind of a basic assessment. And then there's a, all, a lot of other uh, assessments. Um, we've got uh, a metabolic cart to do VO2 max testing, for example. We've got software that does gait analysis so we can film people while they run and help them to you know correct their mechanics um uh there's also uh, uh like a, a a company that i ended up uh, partnering with called best athletes which provides uh fitness testing but also uh, uh comparable data and player mm-hmm. profiling so athletes can can you know again you know they can pay a bit more and, and not just get the test, but get, get, get a profile created on an online platform uh, where there's, you know, there's, there's data scientists that work with the data to come up with predictive modeling and help them, uh, you know, connect with coaches. So, uh, and then I also, I ended up also partnering with with a company that, that, that uh, provides a kind of a a very affordable uh, heart rate monitor and accelerometer Mm
0: -hmm. so that
1: athletes while, while they're training with us and also while they're, you know, on the pitch, uh, can, can you know, uh, capture data, uh, you know, physical performance data, and then we help them understand and interpret it and all that. So a lot of the, I guess, if you want to say, uh, I think you mentioned the term product ladder uh, kind of yeah. a, uh, additional uh, services and products, they sort of evolved as, uh, you know, uh, I got connected with other companies and, and learned about other, you know, technology and stuff like that. So we definitely do that. And, and it's, it's, it's a lot of that has been great for us because I think a lot of the customers we have, you know, they've, they've trusted me and, and my company, you know, as the experts. So whenever they wanna do more than just training, they go back to us for a higher level of service and, and, and for my expertise and, and, and our expertise, so.
0: Yeah, just, you know, the reason why I ask is, um, obviously I think the most famous story of a product letter is McDonald's when they do the upsell, right? Uh, with your fries and, and uh, drinks. Yeah. That, that itself is a, I suppose it's a billion dollar business for them just to upgrade, which which is amazing, which is something that small businesses don't do. And especially in sports coaching with the hundreds of coaches that we work with or speak to or and coach, they don't have that product letter. They have very single minded about just having one product and that's all they do. Right. I want to ask you, what what do you charge? Like what's, what's your, your pricing model and, and how did you come up with the pricing model?
1: So, yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and that was definitely challenging too. So, so uh, uh, now uh, I'll say pre COVID because things have changed now because of the number of people we're allowed to have in our facility, but uh, you know, we can have uh, 10 to 15 athletes training per hour. And we break those athletes up into, into, into groups of five with one head trainer and then one assistant trainer. Sometimes that's an intern or whatever. So two trainers with five athletes and a maximum of 15, but typically it's more like eight to 10 people per hour. Um, Each client, like each athlete that's training with their sessions, they're paying in a range between 25 to $30 plus tax. Uh, And that depends on the type of package they buy. And, you know, there are some further discounts with people that commit to long-term memberships and stuff, but it's, it it might be, 20 to 30 dollars let's say per, plus tax okay per that's session. the range yeah yeah and uh and 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 so we could have you know at a minimum maybe you know five or six people in an hour and at a maximum closer to 15 uh with three uh, you know paid staff uh you know on the floor working with them uh so and and again it kind of goes back to that thing that I was talking about before about you know we we were trying to figure out okay obviously it needs to be profitable but I didn't like the way a lot of other businesses that trained athletes were providing training which is that they would have one coach with like 10 or 15 people and the reason I didn't like it and it also it's because I I could see what what a lot of the you know the parents and and coaches were saying which is all oh, you know yeah, we went to that place, but they don't really watch you. They don't pay attention. They don't correct the kids. And, you know, they don't. So I thought, okay, so I'd like to make my, my program a little more expensive than that, you know, because in those programs, maybe they're only paying $10 per person or whatever. So I'd like to make it more expensive than that. And then give one assist, a head trainer and one assistant trainer. So two trainers with five, so there's a lot of individual attention and because of the way things are set up with our treadmills that group of 5 one is running is directly supervised by a trainer all the time the others are like catching their breath and recovering and doing some other work and they're supervised by another trainer so there's a lot of individual attention and and that you know that provides a lot more value so we could charge more for it and so you know uh, again as long as we were able to get the the the, the volume of people in there seven eight nine ten more per hour then it becomes a you know a, a profitable business so so that's why nice you are
0: roughly making about two hundred thousand a year right that's your turnover right uh, has that been now you are what fifth year in operation
1: actually uh, 10 yeah. Oh, yeah we, I, okay. I, I opened. I opened the facility in 2011. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Wow. Okay. All yeah. right. And and <laughs> yeah. how has that trajectory been? Like, are you are you able to give us a range from maybe year three, year four onwards?
1: Yeah. So, uh, and I'll, I'll just. There's a caveat, which is that in addition to the training in the location, uh, we also did a lot of training off-site. Okay. Uh, so, which was me or my staff going and working with football clubs on field. So we had training in the center and training on field as well. And then of course, we've got some revenue from the the teaching and coach education that I do and all that, but I'll speak mainly about in the center and the on field because those are the two main things. Um, So we had a a big spike in, in revenue uh, after uh, in year three, which was 2013. And the reason for that is that there was a new league formed in Ontario, Ontario player development league. And that league, uh, 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 the clubs that, 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 that were part of it, it was mandatory that they had fitness training and Mm -hmm. this was all done on field. So our, our on-field revenue really, really, I mean, it, I mean, it, it, it doubled my total revenue by the, by, by 2014. Uh, uh, Now what started to happen eventually in around 2016 was that like these standards were not being enforced, so it's like the standard is you have to have year-round fitness, but there was nobody enforcing it. And you know, I don't want to start complaining about the politics or whatever, but it just it wasn't wasn't managed well. And so one by one a lot of these clubs that we were dealing with that we were getting quite a lot of revenue from. I mean, some of the contracts would have been $20,000 a year, you know, 15, you know. One by one these clubs started to pull out and say, "Oh, well, we'll just handle the training ourselves and you know and technically speaking, they're not supposed to do that because the training is supposed to be provided by a fitness professional. But anyway, you know, as I said, nobody was enforcing it. So, so we lost, you know, we had a dip uh, in 2017, a big dip. And that's actually what motivated me to create this course called the soccer fitness trainers course. So I figured, okay, well, if we're not providing the training directly, then, you know, I'll use my knowledge and my expertise to teach coaches how to do fitness training on the field. And, you know, at least I can work with clubs and, and people that way. The revenue from the course is not nearly as much as what we would get from sending trainers out to do the, the training themselves, but it's been a lot more stable. The course has actually been picked up by the provincial and national governing bodies here. So I teach it on behalf of Ontario Soccer as well, and I teach it online. So it's it's good. Uh, uh, and and now uh, the big thing that's, that's helped us Grow revenue, again, has been um, changing our brand to speed training. So not exclusively focusing on soccer anymore. And actually, that's something I wish I would have done a long time ago Uh, because, you know, uh, there's a lot of other athletes that, that really can benefit from our training. But the moment they saw soccer, fitness, you know, if they play hockey or football or basketball or whatever, they didn't want to come. And also, I, you know, I guess I, I could mention as well that during COVID, an opportunity came up for me to move my location from a smaller uh, facility into a, a, a bigger location, about 25% more space. And that's actually, even despite COVID, has been very, very good for our revenue because it's a bigger space and it's a new, you know, it's a fresh start, a new location, and, and we've, uh, we've attracted a lot of new athletes from other sports. And also we've been able to do more numbers, more personal training, other stuff out of the space. So there was a a big surge when the league came in on-field training. Uh, We dipped a bit as the clubs started to kind of go, you know, go in their own direction. And then we picked it up again with the course and the new location. So, yeah.
0: Let me focus in on the the course itself. How many coaches are on that course at the moment or how many people have gone through that, that program of yours?
1: there's been 250 coaches if we count everyone that did it when i ran it myself uh that did it through the governing body ontario soccer and online um so it's you know it's small but 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 uh it has it has a great reputation i mean everyone who's taken it loves it and you know i'm i'm you know i'm uh, spending quite a lot of time uh, marketing and promoting it because i really I, i believe it fills another real key gap in coach education here in Canada which is coaches here don't learn anything about the physical side of training and sports science they don't learn how to do warm ups they don't learn how to properly train they don't learn about injury prevention i know that it's different in other countries because i've i've worked in other countries i've i've worked in south america at the professional level and i've also taken you know licenses in other countries and i know that in other countries to be a coach you need some knowledge in sports science, and you don't have that here. So I was pushed to create that course, actually, because I saw that, you know, the writing on the wall, which is that these clubs didn't want to do training with us anymore. But I also thought it really was able to fill another gap. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy. And I'm actually quite proud of, of, of what I've been able to do with that course.
0: What are the, you know, the persona of these coaches? Are they like just trainers? Are they part of a club? Or are they just, you know, single coaches trying to start their own sports coaching business what percentage of people fall into that category
1: in canada so we've got lots of players like so so obviously there's a, there's a lot of demand for coaches so i would say it's probably it's probably more than 50 percent of all the coaches are are kind of parent volunteers okay. so you have a son or a daughter on a team you know they need a coach and, and you do it now it doesn't mean just because they're volunteer quite a lot of them probably have a soccer background of some kind they probably played you know, uh, maybe they've done a, a coaching course or two, but, you know, the standard for a lot of them is, is not really very high because mm. you need numbers and you can't, if you make the standards too high and you say everyone needs an A license, for example, you know, you'll never be able to service all these players. That's probably more than 50% of our parent volunteers. And then, you know, the rest, uh, maybe it's 40%, maybe it's 30% are are, you know, maybe... People who played at, at a higher level, probably a lot like me that played in university, uh, you know, some former pros or people that, that tried to go pro and didn't quite make it, uh, you know, and then among that smaller group, there are some that have decided to start their own academy or their own, mm. uh, you know, their own business. And then there's quite a few that are just working in, in the club system. I mean, there's, there's uh, dozens of uh, more than do- there's hundreds of clubs, you know, not for profit uh, clubs in Ontario. And again, they service hundreds of thousands of players. So there's lots of opportunities at the amateur level to be a coach. Uh, If you want to do your own business, you can. But if you want to just work in an amateur club or whatever, there are those opportunities too. Not a lot of professional opportunities. Uh, I've been through that system as well, and, and it doesn't pay. So that you do more, you do it to build your resume and for the love of the game and the passion and all that, you know, it's great. Uh, but it's it's very tough to earn a full time living in the pro game. Uh, it's much easier in the amateur game. So
0: yeah. So let me ask you about your secret sauce. So what's your secret sauce? Because a lot of sports coaches they really struggle in terms of unpacking their genius or their IP, or creating a signature solution in their business, um, which is something that obviously with the work that we do, we help. How, how do you manage that? Do you have a secret source? What's your secret source?
1: That's okay. So I, I've thought a lot about, about that. Um, what makes me different, let's say. And, and, and um, so I, you know, I, I, guess I was aware very early on and it's, it's what motivated me to open the facility because, because I just wanted to earn a living and whatever I, you know, I, I could have uh, had a much more profitable business just you know, training teams and running around, but I, but I I wanted to do something that was different, you know, that that clearly set me apart from everybody else. So that's why, I mean, first and foremost is the technology that I've got in my facility. We have the world's fastest treadmills. We have, uh, you know, a lot of uh, equipment that that literally I'm the only one in Canada that has Uh, it's all evidence-based and science-based and I've backed it up, not just by doing stuff that's evidence-based, but I know that's my, my master's and PhD research has been centered around, uh, you know, uh, uh, investigating the effectiveness of, of this unique type of training, which is high speed, high incline and self-propelled treadmill training. So I've, I I really wanted to, to set myself apart so that anybody who's considering, you know, which strength and conditioning coach or fitness coach that they want to work with and which company or or, you know they wanted which gym they want to train at when they look at our facility versus the others the others they look very similar there's kids running around cones and jumping over hurdles there's you know maybe maybe an area of turf where they do some stuff there's some weights and you know and that's fine that that, you know that's great and we have that you know we have that in our facility too but we've got all this stuff that is really really unique and it's not like it looks good, so I think there is that kind of um, you know uh, the bells and whistles and, and that kind of thing. You know, it looks cool, but I didn't want it just to look cool. I wanted to do something that that that, that was evidence based, and and I knew because again I did continue with my education and I went to conferences and and I remember speaking to people like like actually you know a, a big you know the the World Congress on Science and Football. I went there in, in 2007. And I've been at everyone, you know, they, they do it every four years after the World Cup. I've been at everyone since presenting research. And, and even back then in 07, I remember talking to people about treadmills and they said, yeah, so it sounds cool, you know, but until you show me some evidence that it works, you know, we can't really take it seriously. It looks like a gimmick so i said okay i don't want to be questioned on this i want to make sure that i'm doing things that are that are you know evidence-based that are sound so i have to you know publish my own research and that's kind of what drove me to to keep going on the academic route because like i don't need a phd you know to do what i'm doing but i want to to do the research and to to demonstrate the effectiveness and to learn if it's not effective why and what do i need to change so i i guess that that's my secret sauce i guess (laughs) very
0: nice very nice Uh, I suppose not many sports coaches, you know, take that approach. I think you have really thought about all of that and put together a plan that's kind of foolproof, right? Nobody can really actually question your theory because you are walking the walk and you're an an academic in some some way, one way or the other. Let's talk about, because after all, this is a sports business podcast. Let's talk about marketing because that's something that a lot of sports coaches struggle with. What do you do in terms of marketing? Do you outsource it? Do you keep it in-house? And what's, what's your idea about marketing?
1: All right. So uh, it's also, I, I love talking about this because it's just, you know, I, 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 again, I, I didn't study business, definitely didn't study marketing. I believe, I guess I was kind of aware early on of, you know, what could be done with Facebook and social media and, 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 and that kind of thing. And, and so like initially, I mean, I, I was a one-man show for, for a long, long time. Uh, you know, I don't know that I would recommend it to people, but, but I kind of, I felt like I had no choice. So I did a lot with, um, I mean, I came up with this concept of the 20 mile per hour club, Uh, in the first year that we opened because we had this fast treadmill and you know it it had a it has an unweighting harness so basically you feel a bit lighter when you're running in it and so a lot of people if they train hard they can get to running 20 miles per hour which is kind of a milestone so you know i shot videos of every every kid that ran 20 miles per hour and we put them online and we did this big production and and eventually actually it it, it was sort of a i mean i don't know that it went viral right away i do have a, a video on youtube that eventually went viral has over 7 million views right now uh, which is, which is of a, of a kid running 20 miles an hour, but, but it definitely in the soccer community, there was a little bit of buzz around it because kids, oh, they said, oh, you know, my friend ran 20 miles per hour. I want to do that. And I even had parents that were saying, oh, come on, you know, my son is the fastest. And you know, so that, that, that was one thing that I thought was quite successful in the beginning. I also, you know, I like to write and I'd always written articles. And so I, I, I actually, you know, in the very first year that I opened the business, I, I had also, uh, been, uh, got, I, I, I aggressively pushed, with the editor of Inside Soccer Magazine, which is a nationwide Canadian soccer magazine, I just, I don't know, harassed him basically until he, he allowed me to write for his magazine, and uh, and and initially it was I was able to put an article in exchange for buying an ad, uh, so I had an article in in every single one of those magazines from the middle of 2010 up until the magazine folded in 2017, which was every two months, so I thought that was also quite successful because you know I I used the articles as to promote what i was doing so once i got hired by the canadian women's national team i started to write about that uh, i wrote about treadmill training i wrote about testing i wrote about and i you know i wrote about things that i thought would get the readers interested in my business so i maybe those are some things that i thought was very successful uh you know i did email marketing i i i don't think i was very uh, very skilled at it um you know, I, I I definitely it was a learning process, implementing Salesforce helped a lot. And I'll tell you just briefly that, so my, my wife, who I, I met in 2016, and, and you know, we got engaged at the end of 2017, and eventually got married in 2018. My wife worked uh, in uh, uh, marketing and communications, and actually specialized a lot in, um, in uh, digital marketing. And so eventually, uh, you know, she kind of pointed out all the things I was doing wrong <laughs> and said, Oh, you can't send emails like this. This is not right. Oh, look at your flyers. Don't look good. you I mean, even our facility, like she helped us renovate the front end. And so anyway, long story short, you know, eventually uh, you know, she ended up leaving her job and she's been hired by my company. And, 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 and that has just been a, a unbelievable positive because not only is she just really, really good at what she does, and she's helped, and you know, she's helped with everything from the the, the emails that we do, the social media, the uh, you know, the website, the everything. But she, you know, I think as my wife, and you know, she has a much more of a vested interest in you know, in the business being successful maybe than if I had just outsourced to a you know, marketing professional or whatever. And, and nothing wrong with outsourcing. I probably should have done that sooner, uh, or I should have met her sooner. <laughs> But uh, I guess I'm, I'm I'm lucky. You know, I'm just I'm just very lucky that that I I, I got someone to help me now. So
0: uh... yeah, I, I think we, we are similar in many ways. My wife worked in our business for many years until we we got bought out in 2016. In fact, now these days when I do my practice, she uh, still takes care of the accounts, which is always easy because someone trusted and like you like you just shared right because uh, they've got a vested interest in the business. They want us to be successful. So. Yeah. You know, so sports coaches listening to this, find yourself a uh, a good wife like uh, Richard has just done <laughs> that propel his business to the next level.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's the maybe is another part of my secret sauce, I guess.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's your IP, right? Find yeah. find a good wife yeah. that can help you out with your business, Richard. That's that's uh, really interesting. Let let's talk about um, what the the future is, right? Because it's very obvious that soccer or football it's it's a. Really big grassroots sport in Canada or North America. We know that um, girls' soccer, it's growing or it's very prominent at that part in, in that part of the world. What do you think is the opportunities that present itself in this marketplace, taking into consideration what's happening with COVID and all that?
1: Yeah, well, OK, so th- that's interesting. So th- two things I would say, first of all, just in general, um, I think, you know, I, and I've seen it, uh, you know, definitely businesses like mine that focus on, on you know, fitness training and all that. And, and then also, you know, uh, coaches who want to get, get into you know, running a business uh, around coaching, you know, training athletes and, 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 you know, on the field, you know, with teams and all that. There's definitely there's lots of opportunity. I think it's only going to keep growing yes the market may become saturated and so then the challenge becomes sort of like I said like our our people our coaches are they going to be able to find something that makes them a little different and makes them stand out and the ones that do are probably going to do better I mean one thing that definitely has been happening in in Toronto recently is uh, affiliations with professional clubs overseas so there's right now I mean there's a Juventus Academy Toronto there's an Inter Milan Academy Toronto there's a Benfica there's a uh Sporting Lisbon um Ajax you know so whether the connections to those clubs is really legitimate you know okay i mean you know so depends uh but listen in the end uh if you have good coaches and the customers like the coaching and maybe they like the prestige associated with a juventus shirt or what you know that's great i mean i don't you know i'm i'm an entrepreneur i don't uh, uh Begrudge anyone if they, you know, if they run a business that way. I, I think it's always good to be honest with people, but, but uh, you know, the, and and a lot of those businesses do have legitimate connections. So I think there's definitely lots of opportunities for entrepreneurs. Um, the second thing, because you mentioned COVID, so this this again, it's it's very interesting. This opportunity for us to move into this new location was great for a number of reasons. Um, it only came up because of COVID, because my other location was forced to close. Okay. So that's like kind of just an opportunity in and of itself that came from COVID. But also I see already, you know, because we've been limited with the number of people we were able to put per hour, we ended up opening for some earlier hours, sometimes as early as three or 4 PM. And I never did that before. I mean, we were only, we, it was a good business, but it was always small. It was always three hours a day, six to nine after school, after rush hour and not later than nine o'clock because, you know, kids have to go to bed. Right now, you know, we're open at three or four. And there's also some people that even want to come in during the day because the parents, maybe the, 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 the kids are, are not, you know, they don't want the kids to go to school because they're worried or schools have changed their, their schedules around, you know, there's a lot more uh, free time, let's say that children have. And so I think that, you know, businesses that can take advantage of that that can provide services during the day or in the early evening, um, come up with maybe different programs I mean believe it or not we're even talking right now to to a private school uh, which works with athletes not soccer it's more hockey and, and lacrosse but you know they they run programs out of this f- sports facility where, where I'm a tenant and my, my location is inside a big sports facility it's one of the reasons why I wanted to be there because this facility is multi-sport it has hockey it has basketball you know so this school is there and you know of course they've got stuff going on during the day so I think that you know COVID is it's a challenge and it's hectic and it's you know it's very stressful all that but there are some opportunities and maybe silver linings that come out of it and one of it I think in businesses that work with youth athletes is that youth athletes definitely have more time during the day and that's more time that they can you know work and, and businesses can provide services to to work with them so
0: so what does the next 12 months look for your business so
1: knock on wood uh you know we have not been forced to close uh the um uh, we've followed all the the safety guidelines as i said we've limited the number of people per hour and you know the staff are wearing masks and we're cleaning uh, cleaning up and all that so so uh, you know I don't want to, you know, uh, jinx it or whatever, but but you know, it, it, the the move has been great for a number of reasons. The bigger space has allowed us to do other things, to do personal training, uh, you know, to add more equipment, to to make a much better quality product. So that's a lot of people have 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 liked it and have and have responded to that and signed up. Um, Uh, We're also uh, again, you know, the the extra hours that we're open again has been a positive and the access to the other athletes from other sports has been a positive. So we're growing quite a bit. And I'll tell you, you know, when I say I wish I would have changed the name sooner again, our name now is speed training. It's not specific to soccer. Uh, Being specific to soccer made our business seasonal. So in the wintertime when nobody was playing, we were very busy. And, and in the summer, you know, we didn't go to zero, but we were probably 30, 40, almost 50% less, 50% less hours, 50% or 40% less revenue. So that's difficult to sustain because when you're busy, then you need lots of staff. And then when you're not busy, you you have to let them go. And, you know, it's uh, so, so now that we've got access to these other athletes, like, like in the summer, when less soccer players want to train, there's more hockey there's more baseball, there's more, you know, American football, basketball. So, so if we can continue to grow the way we're growing, then I want to look at another location, I want to look at, you know, maybe 30 kilometers west of where we are, or or 20 kilometers north, or, you know, there's lots of little pockets of areas in the greater Toronto area where there's lots of athletes. I want to find another multi-sport facility that wants to give me 1500 to 2000 square feet of space and open another location. And I've thought about franchising. I I don't know a lot about franchising yet, but I, you know, if we can keep going, I would love to, you know, to, 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 to explore that option as well. So,
0: so let's just say that 10 years from now, we get on the podcast again, this same podcast, um, hopefully with millions of listeners, what would you like to have achieved? What kind of conversation would we be having?
1: Well, 10 years, yeah. I mean, I, I I would really like to have multiple locations across, at least across the greater Toronto area. You know, it's a big, big, big city. And, and, and eventually, I, I don't see why I couldn't, if it's successful in Toronto and in Ontario, in our province, I don't see why I couldn't have moved it on to other provinces in Canada. And uh, I mean, I'd I'd love to get into the United States. Uh, You know, the the youth sports is so popular there and soccer is popular. But I mean, you know, the other sports like American football, basketball, I mean, those are super popular there. So I'd love to, you know, maybe, you know, we're not far in Toronto. We're not far from, you know, uh, Pennsylvania, you know, Ohio, uh, you know, New York, New Jersey. I mean, uh, you know, I'd love to start to expand out there and and, and maybe even, yeah, 10 years. I don't know. Canada first and then the United States too. I'd love to do that. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. A lot of our listeners are from North America. So if you guys are in the US listening to this, uh, hit Richard up because I think he's got something really good going. Uh, Richard, where can people find you?
1: Uh, so our uh, my, my website is, is www.speedtraining.ca. Um, uh, we also have soccerfitness.ca so you can, you know, you can find information about our programs there. Um, uh, Instagram, I guess I can say uh, there's there's at speedtraining.ca or at Soccer Fitness Inc. Uh, I've got a I've got a YouTube channel with almost 4000 subscribers. That's Soccer Fitness Goals, G-O-L-S. Uh, those are probably the best places to find me.
0: <laughs> well, Richard, a real pleasure talking to you. Learned so much about your industry and exactly what you're doing. Uh, not just sports entrepreneur, you're also an academic. So there's a lot to pick up from this conversation, I suppose. I wish you the very best. Like I said, hopefully in 10 years time, I can get you on the podcast or maybe even earlier. Let's not wait till 10 years. Uh, get you on the podcast and to see how you are progressing in that part of the
1: world. Great. Yeah, I'd love to. And, and thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. And they've got no objections. <laughs>